our series in the Gospel of John. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open to that fourth book of the New Testament. Maybe last week you bookmarked it. That's where we're going to be tonight. If you were here last week, you learned, we learned together, that the Gospel of John is actually an eyewitness account of the life of Christ told through the eyes of one of Jesus' very closest friends. And when we opened up to the very first words, we learned that John gives us this wonderful description of who Jesus is. You remember what he wanted us to know. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. And Jesus is incarnate, which means God in the flesh. And now as we move on a little bit deeper and find out what does John want to share with us next about Jesus, we're going to learn very quickly that John chooses to share the stories of some individuals who were the very first to interact with Jesus in the earliest days of his ministry. Now, this was long before Jesus had this great following. This was long before there were, uh, you know, lots of large crowds following him. Before all of that, before anybody knew Jesus' name, there was a small handful of people who were invited to be a part of what Jesus was doing. And all of this started when Jesus was about 30 years old. Now, I don't know why the Gospels give us so few details about what happened prior to Jesus' 30th birthday. I don't know why that is. It just doesn't. We know about his birth. We have a great account of the birth of Christ through the Gospels. We know about the early movements of Joseph and Mary when Jesus was a baby. We get this little snapshot of something that happened to Jesus when he was 12 years old. Do you remember what it was? His parents inadvertently left him in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if you've ever left your kid anywhere, but you probably didn't forget him for three days. That's what happened with Joseph and Mary. Can you imagine? Where's Jesus? The Messiah is missing. I don't know. They, they book it back to Jerusalem. And where did they find him? Do you remember? The temple. That's right. And what was he doing for those few days at the temple? The Bible just says he was sitting among the teachers, he was asking questions, he was listening to their answers, and the Bible says that everyone around there was just amazed at this 12-year-old little boy named Jesus. And that's about it. That's about all we know about Jesus prior to age 30. Perhaps that's because, and I alluded to this last week, is that what Jesus did during his final three years of life, from age 30 to age 33, is far more significant and far more meaning to you and I than what happened in the first 30. So John begins his account of the life of Christ with his detailed description of who Jesus is, and then he starts to share the stories of these individuals who were among the first to accept Christ and to follow him. And I'm going to simply refer to this small group of people, these first witnesses, as this. The first witness. If you want to write that down, go ahead. The first witnesses. That's who we find out about right here at the beginning. These first witnesses were seven individuals who were the first to learn about, that were first to learn about in the Gospels, who interacted with Jesus, chose to follow him. And these seven people are so significant 
in Jesus' ministry. Now, the first witness is a man named John. Now, I don't want you to be confused. We refer to this guy as John the Baptist. This is different than the writer of our gospel. We're talking about two completely different Johns here. So the first witness is a guy that we refer to as John the Baptist, and this is what we learned. You got your Bibles open? Look at chapter 1. Let's look at verse 19 together. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. We'll stop right there for a minute. John the Baptist, he was, uh, there was a guy that drew a crowd. This is a guy that uh, drew the attention of the religious leaders of the day. They showed up, this guy named John, he shows up on the scene and he starts preaching this message that people have to repent of their sins and as a sign of that repentance, he is baptizing people in the Jordan River. This baptism was, you know, in water was kind of a symbolic thing there that symbolized this purification, which is something that was not a foreign concept to a Jewish person. They understood cleansing and purifications and washing. So this idea that you need to be clean before God was not foreign. And so John has this message, you need to repent of your sins and we're going to wash your sins away. So John was doing this and the religious leaders, they took notice. These same, probably, these same religious leaders are going to take very close notice of Jesus here very soon. They wanted to know who he was. Now, we do learn this from the other Gospels. We learn that John was kind of a wild man. You know his story a little bit? What were his clothes made out of? Camel's hair. The Bible also tells us that John the Baptist, he ate bugs. Now, I don't know how else to say it, but it says he made his meals out of locusts, and, and it's a little bit strange, and I, I read that, and I'm going, I don't think that John the Baptist is ever going to be on anybody's short list for sexiest man alive. I just don't think that's ever going to happen. This guy is a little bit wild, okay? He's a little bit wild, comes from the desert. But these religious leaders, they take one look at this guy, and they want to know what he's all about. And did you see what John said right away? Right at the get-go, he says, I am not the Messiah. There was something about their questions. There was something about their inquiries that made John just stand up and say, I'm not that guy. So obviously they were, they were seeking. They're like, could he be the Messiah? The, the Messiah, that word, it just comes from a Hebrew word that gets translated as anointed. That's all that Hebrew word means. The Greek uh, equivalent in the New Testament is Christ. They want to know, are you the Christ? Are you this long-awaited, anointed one that the prophets foretold? Is that you? And John right away says, nope, that is not me. And then they ask the next logical question. Well, then who are you? Who are you? And he gives them an answer. Look at verse 23. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, John the Baptist, he had a very specific purpose, and he knew it, a purpose that goes way back to even before he was born, way back even when he was forming in his mother's womb, God had a very specific purpose for him, and I invite you to go back and read Luke chapter 1 to find out what I'm talking about. But John knew what his role was. He had the special privilege of introducing Jesus to the nation of Israel. 
And he also had the very difficult task of preparing the nation to receive their Messiah. Now, without using up all of our time tonight just talking about John the Baptist and the significant role that he played, which honestly would be very easy to do to spend our time just talking about John the Baptist, let me just say this. I cannot underscore enough for you tonight just how significant John the Baptist is in the life of Jesus and in the whole New Testament. He's mentioned 89 times. 89 times. This is somebody who had a significant role. And the other gospel writers spend a great amount of time unpacking his story. And I invite you to read the gospels and get the fuller picture. But I would love to have been there. John just knows, my role is to introduce people to Jesus, and then one day, Jesus comes walking up, and John sees him. It's like his eyes laid, laid on Jesus, and he, he knew it was the Messiah. I would have loved to have been there to capture the moment. I mean, here's that moment. Look at verse 29. It's like his whole life purpose just comes walking up to him. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes, comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with, with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Here's what I love about this moment. John, he had a following all of his own. John drew a crowd long before Jesus ever showed up. He had his own disciples. He could have actually, if he wanted to, he could have claimed Messiah status for himself. It wouldn't have been true, but he could have claimed it. And there were some that could have believed him. But here's what I love. He understood so humbly what his role was. He's like, I come baptizing with water so that he, Jesus, might be revealed to people. John had nothing to say about himself because he was sent to talk about Jesus. And in many ways, if you think about it, John's purpose is the very same as our purpose today. We are here to talk about Jesus, to show the world Jesus. We have very much something in common with John the Baptist. He was pointing out Jesus to people. And that's what our job is too. I think about it like this. If Jesus is the word, John is but a voice. In the other gospel we, Gospels, we learn that John baptized Jesus, and as Jesus came up out of the water, a voice from heaven said, this is my son who I love and who I am well pleased. And it's generally understood in Jesus' timeline of his ministry that when John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, that was a transitional point in Jesus' life, and that is the moment that his public ministry began. This is the beginning of his preaching. This is the beginning of the miracles. This is the beginning of him ministering to people's needs. This is the beginning of God's glorious revealing to his creation. So John the Baptist is the first witness. Let's see what happens the very next day. Got verse 35 open. The very next day, 
John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Again, this is John the Baptist doing what John the Baptist was born to do. Hey, everybody, that's him again. That's what he's doing. that's, That's the Lamb of God. Look. Look at verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, look what they did. What did they do? They followed Jesus. Now, this is an interesting detail, and it's one that's easy to miss. It's the detail that John had his own disciples. John had people that followed him and learned from him. And so two of those disciples, when he said, now that's the Lamb of God, that's the one that that you need to follow, they kind of turned and went after Jesus. Look at verse 38. So they came up behind him and turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Two disciples of John are now following Jesus. And I can guarantee you they did not realize this in the moment, but these two guys were actually fulfilling the very embodiment of of John the Baptist's purpose in life. Point people to Jesus, and that's exactly what happened with these two disciples of his. They left John, and they followed Jesus. And it rings in our minds what John said in the gospel, that when Jesus shows up, he must increase, and I must decrease. The Bible doesn't say, but I think John the Baptist was like, yes, you go. This is the whole point. This is the one whose sandals I'm not fit to untie. This is the one, right? Yes, go. I get this impression, I can't prove it. But these two guys were the very embodiment of John's entire life purpose. Now, who were these two guys? Who were these two disciples? We know that one of them's name was Andrew. And from the other Gospels, we learned that the other disciple most likely was John, the very writer of this Gospel account. So, John and Andrew, they were disciples of John. So they spend the day with Jesus. It had to have been an amazing day. It had to have been. They didn't know it yet, but they, they, there was something, maybe they had the instinct, things are going to change now. We might never be the same. And, and when you have an encounter with Jesus, the natural response to that encounter is to go tell somebody. I don't care who you are. If you have an encounter with Jesus and Jesus touches your heart and there's something changes or something goes on in your heart, there's something in you, I don't know, you gotta tell. And that's exactly what they do. Look at verse 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had to say and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. That's why sometimes we refer to him as Simon Peter. That's just kind of both names together. So Andrew runs off and he tells his brother Peter, we found the Messiah. Peter comes running. That's kind of Peter's typical response all throughout the gospel. I'm reminded of a similar moment when they said the tomb was empty. And what did Peter do? He took off for the tomb. He's always trying to find Jesus, looking for him. And so he he comes to Jesus, and and there's like an instant connection. 
This is different than other interactions with the other disciples. There's this instant connection, and Jesus is like, I'm going to change your name. You're going to have a new identity. I'm going to call you Peter, the rock. Something changed. From, from the other Gospels, John, the writer of our, our, our account here, he goes off and he tells his brother James, and, and, and James is interested in following Jesus as well. So from, from the get-go, there are two sets of brother, brothers. There's Andrew and Peter. There's James and John. Ironically, they're all fishermen. And these four fishermen, from the process of spending time with Jesus and Jesus calling them to become his disciples, they are the first four witnesses to Jesus. These, four, these two sets of brothers. We learn from the other gospels that this official call to be a disciple came one day, appropriately made, near the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was walking along the shore, and he saw Andrew and Peter there with their boats. They were working, and he said, come follow me, and the Bible's very clear. They dropped everything and went after him. Jesus keeps walking down the shore, and he sees uh, James and John, he says, you guys come follow me too. And, and what's interesting about that is that they drop their nets, follow them, and they leave their dad sitting in the boat. They're like, see ya, dad. And off they went with Jesus. Luke's gospel shares another amazing detail about the calling of these first four disciples. In Luke 5, it says that there was this miraculous catch of fish. And, and Jesus uses that moment to teach them a very valuable truth. You are now going to be what? Remember? Fishers. Of men. So John testifies that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He points them out. Two of his disciples, Andrew and John, run off after Jesus. They become convinced he's the Messiah. They turn around. They go tell their brothers, Peter and James, about the Messiah. They too become convinced and they all start following. And this progression that we see is the beginning stages of evangelism that still continues to this very day. This straightforward, not overly complicated process of the convinced, sharing with the unconvinced that Jesus is the Messiah. And I hope you see that in the very beginning stages of Jesus' ministry, the launching of evangelism. Come and see. I believe. I want you to know. Let me find out for myself. Let's follow. We see it right here with the disciples. It didn't stop with those, those first four. Look at uh, verse 43. What happens next? The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, from the was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael, and he told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. And Philip said, come and find out. And then there were six. John the Baptist makes seven. But these six witnesses, Andrew, Peter, James, John, Philip, and Nathaniel, these first six were going to be the first six of a very special group of 12 who got the privilege of traveling with Jesus for the next couple of years, probably None of them, and I would say I am confident that none of them truly understood just how much following Jesus would change their lives, let alone change 
the world. You know, every single one of us in this room today who have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ as their Savior have done so in a similar way as the disciples did. Most likely, someone in their own way. They, they said to you, I found the Lord, and I want you to come and check it out for yourselves. Now, they may not have used those exact same words, but we are Christians today because somebody did that for you. Perhaps it was a mom and or a dad in your life who, who was a Christian, and in their parental way, they showed you this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. They are the ones that introduced and modeled for you what it is to be a Christian. That, that was my story. I, I learned about Jesus from my folks and from going to church. And I feel so blessed, and I've shared this with you before, to have been raised in a Christian home. And although, I'll be honest, there were times I didn't appreciate it, and there were certainly times I didn't want to go. But growing up in the church, being surrounded by incredible people, many of whom were youth pastors and youth leaders, they all had massive influence on my life and are part of that journey that I have been on, that was on as a young person, of accepting Christ. They were all the ones saying, we have found the Messiah. Come and see. I tell you, I could not have asked for a better experience of having faith modeled for me than what I got through my family and, and, and my church. And I'm striving to create for each and every young person who grows up here at New Life the same kind of experience, what we're all working on. So perhaps for you as a mom and dad, um, maybe it was a good church experience. Maybe it wasn't your parents, but it was a good church. Maybe it was a grandmother or an aunt. Anybody a Christian today because you had a godly grandma? Yep, always. Maybe there was another member of the family. Maybe it was just a friend. Maybe it was a coworker one day that says, I found the Messiah. Maybe that's not the same words, but that's what they're saying. I found Jesus. Come and see. Let me show you too. Maybe there was a preacher. Maybe you were flipping the channels late at night and you came across a preacher and there was, God used that moment to speak to your heart. And in his way, he said, I found the Messiah. Come and see. Maybe you were invited to church. And the preacher of that church, in his own words, said, I found the Messiah. Come and see. Maybe you had an experience like Robin Corder, who is the chairman of our elders right here at New Life Christian Church. One day... There was a knock at his door. He was 21 years old. And if he were up here today, he would tell you, not living for Jesus, not in the least. Newly married, home. There was a knock at the door. And uh, the way he tells this story, he says, I was breaking in a new radio. Do you remember what those were? I was breaking in a brand new home theater stereo, had it cranked, and, and it, was, it was a loud environment. There was a knock at the door. And he opened it and he found two guys there. And they were from a local church. Robin had never seen them before in his life. And they said, hey, would you be okay if we came in and shared some scripture with you? Now, Robin, if he were telling the story, he would say, there is no reason. That was not like me to say yes. But for some reason, I said, sure, come on in. 
40 minutes later, he was accepting Christ. And that decision has completely changed the trajectory of his entire family tree. And that decision is still having impact and ramifications on our church family, all of us, because of the position he holds at this church. Maybe your story's like that. But it all started back in this John chapter 1 with John the Baptist telling Andrew and John, look, the Lamb of God. And they inquired, and Jesus said, come and see. And they told their brothers. And then they went out and told others. And, and they're all links in this chain of faith. And all of us are links in that same chain and I wonder if you know who was the link before you that told you about Jesus. And you know, actually, more importantly, who is the link after you? Who is a Christian today? Because you, in your own words, said, I found the Messiah. Come and see. So these six disciples, they leave everything to follow Jesus because they are convinced but if there were any second thoughts over those couple of days, all of this happens within a few short days of each other. If there was any doubts, I think they were pretty much erased by what happens at the beginning of chapter 2. You still got your Bibles open? We're going to finish up with this. In the first few verses of chapter 2, Jesus will perform his very first miracle. So if there was any doubts, I don't think they had any after this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus, his disciples, had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? He replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best tell now. Water to wine, the very first miracle that Jesus did. When it says on the third day, that's probably a reference to about three days after Nathaniel chose to become a follower. So you have this new group of disciples with Jesus. They've only been together a few days, and they're invited to this wedding. Whose wedding? I have no idea whose wedding. Maybe it was a friend of a friend of one of these new disciples, but at any rate, they're all invited. Jesus' mom is there. And if it were up to me to put the title for this chapter of the Bible, like if the, you know, if the editors of the NIV said, hey, Joe, what do you want to call this chapter? I, I'd call it this. You ain't seen nothing yet. That's what I'd call it. These disciples, for the last few days, they've heard Jesus talk. They'd been convinced, but they ain't seen anything yet. And that all changed at this wedding in Cana. 
So the wedding part, they, they ran out of wine, which would have been embarrassing, just like it would have been embarrassing today if you throw a party and you run out of food, you know, if you don't plan well. Well, back then, it was more of a social disgrace, more than it ever was here. I mean, there were like social ramifications that would have gone on with this for a long time. It would not have been easily forgotten. Why did Mary approach Jesus with this problem? Did she actually expect him to do something special to meet this need? I mean, certainly she knew who he was, probably better than anybody. She knew who her son was, but she didn't share that part. You know, some have argued that um, Mary may have been very close friends with the bride and groom, so she didn't want them to be embarrassed. Maybe she was a part of the team of people that were actually making preparations, and that's how she found out, I mean, that there was even a shortage on, on wine. I don't know. Mary didn't tell Jesus what to do. She simply just reported the problem to him. And Jesus' response, maybe you thought this seems a little harsh, but it really wasn't. He's just like, why are you getting me involved with this? And we get this little clue that will make a whole lot more sense later. He says, the hour has not yet come. It's not my time. Why are you pulling me? It's not my time yet. More of that language will come out through the Gospels, but essentially Jesus is like, I know exactly what I'm here for. I know exactly what my timetable is. I know exactly how this is going to play out and when things need to happen to reveal the glory of God, but this wedding is not that time. In other words, Jesus is saying, it is not time to set yet in motion the things that are going to take me to the cross. It's not yet time. That's all he means. But Jesus did choose to involve himself, and he did it somewhat secretly. That's a detail we miss sometimes. We think the changing of the water to the wine was this big, grandiose miracle that hundreds of people saw. No, it was kind of a private one. He changed the water to wine, but only a few servants, Mary, and these six disciples knew he did it. He saved the day, really, for this bride and this groom. He saved the day for the guy that threw the party. But it doesn't appear that any of them ever knew or found out that it was Jesus. All they knew is that they had saved the best for last. That's all they knew. However, I believe that this miracle did something far more significant for his disciples. It revealed Jesus' glory and it gave these disciples in these earliest days... Of when they could have jumped ship and said, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> it revealed for them the Lord's glory. And I think it just planted their feet in this solid foundation of faith. That's why when we come to the final verse we're going to read today, in verse 11, it says, What Jesus did here in Cana, in Galilee, changing water to wine, was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. You know, God is still revealing his glory. Do you know that? God is still revealing his glory. That revealing comes through God's word. That revealing comes through answered prayer, through changed lives, through worship, more and more and more. I'm telling you, there's certain aspects of, of God's re revelation, revealing, learning who he is just by taking a walk in a beautiful area and looking at the trees and the mountains and saying, God had to do that. There's something about that God is constantly revealing to us. And the more we grow in our faith, the fuller our understanding becomes just how glorious God is. It's the beginning of that revealing. 
And then just these few short days, Jesus went from John the Baptist to Andrew and John and Peter and James and Philip and Nathaniel, then some servants at a wedding. I'd love to know what they did after this wedding. And it has been spreading ever since. You are also witnesses. You weren't among the first seven, but you were all witnesses nonetheless. Who are you telling about Jesus? Who are you inviting to come and see? Who's the next one in your chain that knows Jesus because of you? Can I pray for you?